Hey, what's up? Welcome to the Christian Bro Code Podcast. I'm your bro, Mario Escobedo. This podcast is all about helping you grow as a disciple of Jesus so that you can live, love, and lead in a way that honors God. I publish a new episode of the podcast the first Monday of every single month. So this episode is season number two, episode seven, which means that it's being published on July the 1st of 2019. Before I jump in today's, uh, into today's episode, um, I'm, I'm recording outside right now. I typically record in my home office, a nice quiet environment, but Right now, when I'm recording, it's June the 30th, 2019, and I live in San Antonio, Texas. Usually, at this time of year, you you cannot be outside. It's hot, and it's really humid, and it just makes for, it's just very uncomfortable being outside during this time of the year. But tonight, uh, it's, let me see, it's, uh, what time is it right now? It's, it's sometime in the evening right now. It's uh, 7.37 when I'm recording this, and uh, it's it's a little humid. It's, it's about 85 degrees right now, a little bit humid, but this, for this time of the year in San Antonio, it's, it's nice. I say all of that just to let you know that you're going to hear the sounds of summer in the background. They've got some kids playing down the street. Someone's cutting their yard. I can hear the, the weed eater going right now. You've got some bugs and birds just going away, doing their thing, making noises and all that, but we're not going to let that bother us. I, I just, I wanted to take advantage of this beautiful evening here in San Antonio and just record this episode from, uh, from my backyard. So there's that. Uh, it's, it's, um, at the time of this recording, it's right at the halfway point of the year. Today's June the 30th as I'm recording this, and this will be released on July the 1st. I mean, right at the midpoint of the year. And I'm, I'm curious to know how you're doing with your New Year's resolutions. Certainly, uh, if you're like most people, you, you set up or you established some New Year's resolutions, some goals for 2019. And unfortunately, if you're like most people, chances are that you abandoned those goals. Um, well, probably, probably pretty early on. Probably about February is when you abandon your New Year's resolutions. So, uh, but you know what? The year isn't over yet. And, and what I've, what I've, tended to see in a lot of people is that when they don't hit their goals or when they kind of let their goals fall by the wayside, they say, well, I guess I'll pick up again next year. But the year isn't over yet. It isn't over yet. And in fact, it really doesn't matter when you're listening to this episode, the year isn't over yet. I mean, you, you, can, you can hit the reset button right now and, and get to work on your New Year's resolutions or any goal that you feel is important for you to achieve because the year isn't over yet. Now, I'm going to guess that if you're listening to this this podcast and you're listening to this kind of material, that you're somebody who maybe frequently sets up some spiritual goals that you'd like to accomplish, and that's a very good thing. That's that's a very good thing. I'd like for you to take a moment and and just analyze, take some stock. How are you doing in your spiritual growth? How are you doing in advancing in your spiritual growth, in your spiritual maturity, in growing as a disciple of Jesus, learning how to love, uh, live, love, and lead in a way that honors God? How are you doing? And and if you if you don't feel that you're doing as well as you would like to be doing, or as well as you feel that you could or should be doing, I'm going to recommend something. I'm going to recommend that you evaluate yourself and you you ask if you are just 
engaging in some of the most basic spiritual practices and habits that you could be engaging in, in order to advance your spiritual growth. Now, there are several that we could talk about, prayer, fasting, uh, meditation, stuff like that. But the one I want to talk about today is reading your Bible. And I've mentioned this on other occasions, just how, how important it is to make it a habit to read your Bible on a regular basis. And and the more regular, the better. If every day you could do it, then then that's actually the best thing for you to read your Bible and reflect on it every single day. I, I've mentioned in other episodes about a study that I came across that mentioned how the the spiritual practice that would have the most impact on your spiritual growth is actually reading and reflecting on the Bible every single day. And what I want to do is, is I'm going to point you to a passage in Scripture that for evangelical Christians like myself, it's one of the fundamental, one of the basic and most important Scriptures that we turn to when we talk about the importance of Scripture, because number one, it talks about the inspiration of Scripture, but it also talks about some of the benefits or some of the results that come as a result of making uh, the Scriptures part of your everyday life. And I'm talking about 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Very well-known passage. I'm going to read it here in just a little bit. Giving you some background here, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to his young protege, his young student, Timothy, who was left in charge of a congregation, more than likely in the city of Ephesus. And apparently there were some problems that were arising, some doctrinal problems, some people who were causing some problems with some false teachings and doctrines that they were teaching that didn't line up with what Paul had taught Timothy. And so as a result of that, Paul reminded Timothy of his faith, of the importance of hanging on to his faith and teaching what what is in accordance to his faith and in accordance to the, the Holy Scriptures that he had learned from Paul and also from his own mother and grandmother. And then we come to verses 16 and 17 which again is one of the most fundamental, most important verses that we have as evangelical Christians that talks about the importance of Scripture, not least uh, or not least of the reasons why is because it talks about the inspiration of Scripture. And this is what Paul wrote in this section of Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. This is how these two verses read. I'm reading from the, uh, what am I reading from? The NIV, by the way. And this is what it says. All Scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, we should be clear here that when Paul says all Scripture, more than likely what he is referring to is what we now know as the Old Testament. Uh, there are different uh, interpretations of what all Scripture means. Is Paul including his own writings in that? Uh, you know, there's not absolute consensus and clarity on that. I tend to think that when Paul uh, wrote this, he was talking about the Old Testament in particular. However, there are other verses of Scripture that we can combine with this to extend that inspiration to the New Testament writings as well. Now, the NIV translates this word, God breathed. I'm going to come back to that in just a little bit, because you've probably heard this verse translated or read this way, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And actually, I think the NIV did a really good job in its translation of that word that we have in the English as God breathed. In the original language, Greek, the New Testament was written in Greek. In the original language, that word is theoneustos, 
Theonoustos. That's the Greek word that Paul used in that in that verse, Theonoustos. Now, interestingly enough, this is the only place in the entire New Testament that this word is used. We call that a hepox legomenon. It's the only time that a word in the Bible is used. And theonoustos, this adjective, appears only in this verse in the entire New Testament. And and it's difficult to capture what it means in any any language other than Greek. What you have here is a compound word. It's a word made up of two other words, the word theos and the word pneuma. It's a variation of those two words compounded, put together to form another word, theonoustos. When you talk about theos, of course, that's the word, the Greek word for God. And noustos is a variant uh, or a derivative of the word pneuma, which means spirit, breath, wind, all those different things that we can associate to that word pneuma. When you put these two together, this is where I think that the NIV did a really good job of translating that word as God breathed. Because here's the idea that I get when I read and uh, study a little bit more about the word theonoustos. Now, adjust your, your, your volume just a little bit because it's going to get just a little bit loud, not, not for too long and not too bad, but I'm going to blow out of my mouth because that's how what I picture the word theonoustos means. It means something like this. I don't know if you heard that, but I was blowing out of my mouth. And what it refers to, or the image that comes to my mind when I think about the word theonoustos is sort of like God exhaling, right? The, the, the breath of God. And what I think Paul is communicating with that word theonoustos is not the literal way in which God inspired the human authors of Scripture to write what they wrote, but rather it's indicating the origin of Scripture. Paul is trying to communicate to us as best he can what the origin of Scripture is. And what he's saying here by saying that all Scripture is God-breathed, what he's saying is that all Scripture has its origin origin in God. It comes from God. God is the source. God is the fountainhead. God is the origin for what we have in Scripture. And that's that's very important, especially as we move on in the remainder of this verse. Because here's what Paul says about this Scripture that is God-breathed. He says that it is useful, and he lists off four specific things for which it is useful. And we're going to look at these, each one of them in turn but it's inspired or God-breathed, and it is useful. Now, here's what I'm going to propose to you, that the reason the reason God's Word or Scripture is useful is precisely because it's God-breathed. It's because it's God-breathed. It's because its origin is God Himself that the Scripture is useful. Otherwise, it wouldn't be useful if it wasn't God-breathed, if, it, if, it's, if its origin were not God himself, then it wouldn't be useful in the way Paul is describing. But its usefulness derives from the fact that it is God-breathed. That is origin. Its origin, where it originates, is God himself. That's what makes Scripture useful. And then Paul goes into the different ways in which Scripture is useful. And I'm going to look at these. We're going to talk about each one of these in turn. So the first thing he says is this. It's useful for teaching. And you have to ask yourself specifically, what does Paul mean when he says that it is useful for teaching? For teaching what in particular? 
Well, I think what Paul is talking about here is that Scripture, and we're going to, you know, looking at this at this use of the word in context, taking into consideration what was taking place uh, in Timothy's community, how there was the infiltration of false doctrines and false teachings and all those things. When Paul says that Scripture is useful for teaching, he's talking about it being useful for teaching the truth of God's Word. It's useful for teaching correct doctrine. It's useful for teaching the truth as it comes from God. This is important because what, what we, what we establish from this verse, among many other things, is that the Bible forms the base or it contains everything on which we base our beliefs. What we believe as, as evangelical Christians and me as a, as a Pentecostal Assemblies of God Christian, it's my beliefs are not based on, on my thoughts or on my preferences. My beliefs are based on what the Word of God teaches to be true. And that's important, especially nowadays, not that that's a, it's a problem that started with, with our time or our society. I think it's something that's probably been wrong for, along for a long time, which is relativism, which means, hey, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. Don't mess with my truth, and I won't mess with your truth, and we'll all be happy. No problem. And, and you're hearing this a whole lot now about, well, this is my truth. <laughs> and, and okay, I, you know, I guess, I think I know what people mean when they're saying that. I think they probably mean something like, this is my experience, you know, but they choose to use the phraseology, this is my truth. The problem begins to happen when your truth conflicts with my truth, right? Then, then we can get into some serious problems because if that's the case, then, uh, then whose truth is actual truth? Who's right? It's, it reminds me of a scene from The Fiddler on the Roof, one of my favorite movies of all time, where the main character, Tevye, he, uh, he gets some news from another villager. And uh, one, of the, one of the villagers says, oh my gosh, what he's saying is right. Uh, here's, here's what this means. And then the main character, Tevye, says, you know what? You're right about that. And then another character says something that contradicts. He says, no, 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 that's not what it means. It means this. And the main character tells this other guy, you know what? You're right too. So another guy steps into the conversation and he says, wait a minute, Tevye. He's right and he's right. They can't both be right. And then the main character, Tevye, says, you know what? You're right too. <laughs> so your truth and your truth and your truth. I mean, my truth and your truth and don't mess with my truth and your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. Don't mess with mine. I won't mess with yours and we'll all be happy. That that's just that that can lead to some very dangerous, some very dangerous um, situations. So what we believe as evangelical Christians is that there's only one truth, and that truth is in the Word of God. It's contained in God's Word. That's the truth and the only truth that matters. And so Paul tells Timothy very clearly here, this God-breathed Scripture, the Scripture that has its origin in God, it is useful for teaching what is correct, what is truth. It contains, it is truth. Why? Because its origin is God himself. That being the case, because its origin is God himself, we can rely on the fact it's trustworthy and it is true. So as we look at how we implement this in our lives as Christian bros in the 21st century, we can stake our beliefs 
what we think and what we believe on God's word because it is true. And it, if, if, if it's true, then, then that's what we follow. We don't follow our emotions or our personal thoughts or our preferences when it comes to what's right or wrong, morality, all those things. We follow the truth as it is revealed in these inspired, these God-breathed scriptures. In fact, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's a wonderful thought to think that the truth will set you free. But the, the, the important thing right there is that you have to know the truth first. And so implicit with this idea that Paul is telling Timothy, Hey, it's the truth. Well, we have to know the truth and we have to study God's word so that we can know the truth. So that's the first thing that Paul tells Timothy with regards to either a benefit or a characteristic of God's word. It is useful for teaching, and specifically teaching what is true, what is correct doctrine. The next thing that, Paul's tell, that Paul tells Timothy is that uh, God's scripture, or the scripture that is God-breathed, is useful for rebuking. Useful for rebuking. That's a harsh word, or, or it could sound like a harsh word, rebuking. Basically, all that the word rebuking means is that it's um, it's useful for showing you when you're doing something wrong. That, that's essentially what the word rebuking means in this context, that God's word, it's inspired and it's useful for teaching you, for showing you, for rebuking you when you are doing something that is wrong, something that is out of line with what God has revealed in his word. Now, this can re- relate to beliefs. This can relate to behavior. Whatever it is, God's word is useful for rebuking, for letting you know, for showing you, for pointing out to you when you are doing something that is wrong. It rebukes you. It tells you what you're doing, that behavior, that attitude, that aspect of your character. It's wrong. It rebukes you. It's useful for rebuking. Now, here's here's very what's very important. And, and I think why Paul started this whole conversation with stating the fact that Scripture is God-breathed. If you believe that God's Word is God-breathed, that its origin is God Himself, then it has authority. You give it the authority. You give it, I'm going to say in air quotes, you give it permission to rebuke you. You, you allow it to rebuke you. Because you and I have always been in a, or we've all been in a situation where somebody tells you or tries to tell you to do something and, and they just don't have the authority to tell you to do something. So you say, well, who are you or who do you think you are that you can tell me what to do? Right. We've, we've all been there. We've all been in that situation. But when somebody has authority over you, then you, you accept what they tell you. They have the authority to tell you what to do, what not to do, what's wrong, what's right. They have the authority. If you and I accept this fundamental truth that Scripture is God-breathed, then we also accept that it is from God, and as such, it has the authority to tell us when we're doing something that's wrong. If not, if we don't give it that authority, if we don't believe that it's God-breathed, then when we read something in Scripture that goes contrary to something that we're doing or something that, you know, it tries to rebuke us, then we can have this attitude towards the Bible that would say something like, well, who are you to tell me that I'm doing something that's wrong? Uh, Who are you 
to tell me. Yeah, and we don't give the Bible that authority. But because it is God breathed, because its origin is God Himself, it has the authority to tell us what's wrong, what we're doing wrong in our life. It can rebuke us. Now, it may not be comfortable at first to be rebuked, rebuked, <laughs> to be rebuked when, when uh, by God's word. But it's it's actually something very good. It's actually something very good and very beneficial for God's word to tell you when you're doing something wrong. I mean, that's beneficial for us. Let me let me give you an analogy. Uh, I grew up in um, in El Paso, Texas, far, far, far west Texas, as far west Texas as you can possibly get. And uh, I didn't leave El Paso till I was 18 years old when I moved to San Antonio to go to Bible college. And pretty much for the rest of my life, I've lived uh, away from, from El Paso. I mean, I've lived over here in this part of Texas, which is San Antonio, Dallas, Waco, that whole I-35 corridor. That's where I've lived the bulk of my adult life. When I first arrived in San Antonio, um, around November, I started feeling pretty sick. I had a lot of congestion, a lot of sinus pressure, sneezing, runny nose, coughing. I just felt miserable. And so, you know, I had had a cold before in El Paso. I'd had the flu before. And so my initial thought was, I have a cold. And so I went to uh, the the, um, drugstore and I bought everything I could think of that would help me get over a cold. Nose drops, nasal spray, Tylenol cold. I mean, just anything you can think of. I bought it and I would take it religiously. NyQuil. I took a lot of NyQuil, too much NyQuil. And uh, I would never get better. I just never got better. I mean, months passed. I think it was maybe two or three months that passed. And I just never got better. And that happened for several years. I mean, several years it would happen. And I just accepted it as part of my lot in life that I just got a cold every November that would last a couple of months and there was nothing I could do about it. Well, it wasn't until I was a little bit older and still living at the time I was living in Waco, Texas, about an hour and a half south of Dallas and north of Austin, Texas, that uh, I went to the doctor when I started feeling sick. And as soon as I walked in and I told the, the doctor what I was feeling, just quickly, almost immediately, the doctor said, oh yeah, you have allergies. I was like, what? No, I don't have allergies. I, I, I've never had allergies in my life. Yeah, I had never ha- had allergies living in El Paso. But El Paso has a very different climate than San Antonio, Dallas, and Waco. And so nothing affected me in El Paso. Nothing gave me allergies in El Paso. But over here in this part of Texas, I, I mean, I got allergies w- without a doubt, like clockwork. From November to February, I have allergies. And at that moment, when the doctor told me, you have allergies. Now, at the moment, she didn't prescribe anything for me. She didn't give me an injection. I still felt horrible. But just the fact that she told me what I was, what was wrong with me, what was wrong with my body, that, that gave me like some peace. It gave me a little bit of tranquility. And, and even though she hadn't given me anything to get rid of the allergies, I felt a whole lot better just knowing what was wrong with me because at least now I could do something about it. And I use that, that story, that analogy, to, to illustrate the fact that it's uncomfortable when Scripture rebukes you and tells you that you're doing something that's wrong or that goes contrary to God's Word. But at the same time, it gives you peace. 
It gives you a sense of peace because it tells you you're doing something that goes contrary to God's word. Stop doing that. And you have to acknowledge that it's wrong what you're doing. But at the same time, there's a sense of tranquility and peace that you say, okay, I've been rebuked, but now I know that what I've been doing is incorrect. Now I know that it's wrong. I can do something to remedy that and no longer do it. So God's word is useful for rebuking. And although it may perhaps feel a little bit uncomfortable at first, it actually lends you a sense of peace and tranquility because now you know what you need to do to correct what's going on in your life that is incorrect, whatever is wrong. So all scriptures God breathed and it's useful for teaching, for rebuking. And then Paul goes on to the next point and he says it's also useful for correcting. When we talk about correcting, that's to me, in my mind at least, it's pretty intricately, intricately, I'm I'm tying my tongue up in this episode. Uh, It's intricately tied to the rebuking. See, because in the rebuking stage, God's word tells us what we're doing wrong, but it doesn't just leave us there. It tells us what's wrong, but then it corrects us by telling us what is the correct thing to do. So in essence, God's word is useful for telling us what we're doing wrong, but then telling us how to correct what we're doing wrong, how to uh, replace our incorrect behavior with correct behavior. It reestablishes us. It reforms us. It, it raises us up once again, and it tells us, stop doing that. That's the, the rebuking part, but start doing this. That's the correcting part. So God's word doesn't just leave us rebuked. It corrects us by telling us how to replace the incorrect behavior in our lives. It, it teaches us uh, how to what we should be doing instead of what we're actually doing. It teaches us how to replace bad habits and bad behaviors with the things that are correct and that are pleasing to God. It tells us you've, you know, you've been doing this, stop doing that, and instead start doing this. When God's word corrects us, it moves us from a state of being incorrect or being wrong to a state of being in right standing with God of doing what is correct in God's eyes. It corrects us. And uh, when I think about that aspect of Scripture, I, uh, for some reason, the image of a coach comes to my mind. Because coaches correct, right? That, that's, that's their job as, as coaches. They, they teach the right way to do things. And you notice that even um, the best uh, most world-class athletes, they have coaches. I mean, think of the best basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan, right? Uh, for those of you who are, Lebr- you think LeBron James is the GOAT, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. It's Michael Jordan. Well, you think of Michael Jordan, he had a coach. You think of, okay, even LeBron James, he has a coach. You think of, you know, just think of the 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 athlete who has a, he's at the top of his game, Lionel Messi in soccer. Christian Ronaldo in soccer, they have coaches and the coaches are there to correct them whenever they're doing things that are incorrect. That's what scripture does with us. And and just like world-class athletes need coaches, no matter how world-class they are, even world-class disciples of Jesus, even world-class Christian bros, we still need a coach and scripture can be that coach for us. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm thinking right now of, of when I was in high school and, uh, I was on the baseball team in high school for my, let me see, 
think it was my sophomore, my junior, and my senior years of high school, I was on the baseball team. And I'll tell you, I was a star. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna be humble about it. I was a star. I mean, I, I, I mean, I was a star on the bench, but I was a star. I mean, that bench on a windy day, it's okay. I got it covered. That bench was not going to fly anywhere. Anyway, I was on the baseball team, and I can remember our our coach when he was teaching us how to hit, how to hit the ball. He was always so insistent and he would watch us. He would watch our head, especially because when you swing the bat to hit the ball, your head tends to turn with your body. And so when you swing, if you're not doing it correctly, you'll be looking off into center field. You're looking, you'll be looking at the pitcher. And so the coach would stop us and he'd say, no, 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 no. When you swing, your head does not move. Your head should be looking exactly at the point where the ball is supposed to be making contact with the bat. And they would tell us this, your head, your eyes should be looking at the ball from the moment it leaves a pitcher's hand all the way until it's right across the plate and you take a swing. If you miss the ball, when you take a swing, you should at least, you should see the miss. You should see the ball go above or below the bat. And if you hit the ball, you should see when the bat makes contact with the ball. And they would coach us. If they'd see one of us twisting our head with the rest of our body, they'd stop us and say, no, keep your head down. Keep your eye on the ball. They would correct us right there to teach us what was the correct thing to do. And again, that's what scripture does for us. It corrects us, it coaches us, and it shows us the correct thing to do when we're doing something that is incorrect. It teaches us, it corrects us, and it shows us the correct thing to do. And so as Christian bros, we need that for our own spiritual development, for our own lives, but also how we interact with our wives, if you're married, with your kids, if, you ha- if, you're, if you're a dad, uh, at work, at church, with our neighbors, whatever it happens to be, Scripture corrects us. It teaches us the correct way to behave, the correct type of behavior that we should have. Scripture teaches us all of that. And so it, it helps you to move from uh, uh, an incorrect, let's say that, an incorrect spiritual position, it, it, it helps us, it corrects us so that we're in a right standing with God, and it puts us into a correct position, spiritually speaking. And, I, and I'm going to say this, uh, recently uh, I preached this sermon to my, to my congregation, and so what I told them was that the Bible, in, in God's Word, in the Bible, God has given you everything you need to lead a successful life. And, and I believe that to be true. That in the Bible, we have absolutely everything we need to lead a successful life. I believe that. And here Paul is giving us some of the benefits, some of the aspects of Scripture that do in fact lead us to a successful life. It's inspired, number one, and very importantly, its origin is God himself. And it's useful for, we've seen so far, for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting. And the reason it's useful for those things is precisely because its origin is God himself. The final thing that Paul mentions in verse 16 about Scripture being useful is that he says that it is useful for training in righteousness. Now, when I think about training in righteousness, I think about a a system of, of discipline that Scripture is useful for teaching us a system of discipline 
for living a righteous life. That's what he says, for training in righteousness. If we follow what scripture teaches us, we're being trained, we're being trained to live a righteous life, a life that is pleasing to God, a life that is righteous, not in our own eyes, not in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of God. And, and that's what counts, right? God's God's eyes are the eyes that count when we're talking about living a righteous life. It, it's God's standard of righteousness that counts. Well, how do we attain that standard of righteousness? Well, we're trained by Scripture. We're trained by Scripture how to live a life that leads us to righteous living. It's it's a training. And the Apostle Paul, I, gosh, and I should have looked this, looked this up before starting the episode. I can't think of it off the top of my head. But the Apostle Paul used this same word training in another passage, in another book. It might be Ephesians. And he used it in the context of how parents uh, train their children, that they train their children. And, and the idea there is that as a parent, our responsibility is to train our children on, on how to live, how to do things that are correct, how to make right decisions, how to, how to grow, how to mature, how to interact with other people in society, how to be a good member, a contributing member of society. We, we train our children, even in the simple things, right? We train our children how to tie their shoes, how to go to the restroom by themselves, how to feed themselves. We, we train them, right? And it's not something that's, that lasts a day or it's just a one-time thing. You know, if you have kids, you know that that's not the case. You know that you have to tell your kids repeatedly to do something before they actually do it. Well, that, that's training. That's part of the training process. And so that same idea applies to what scripture does to us or the benefit of scripture for us. It's that it trains us in righteousness. It, it trains us in what to do how to behave, how to think, how to act, what our attitude should be, what our response should be in different situations. It trains us in righteousness. It trains us to lead a righteous life in God's eyes. So notice notice again the things that Paul says that Scripture is useful for. And again, I'm going I'm to hammer this point once again, that the reason Scripture is useful is because it is God-breathed. Its origin is God himself. That's what makes Scripture useful. And it's useful for teaching, remember, teaching things that are correct, teaching the truth, God's truth, rebuking, pointing out to you when you've done something incorrect or something wrong, correcting, telling you what's the right thing you should be doing, and training you in righteousness, teaching you that system of discipline that would help you then lead a life that is righteous before God's eyes. Now, the purpose of all of this, we found out that Paul said Scripture is God-breathed, it's theonoustos, it's God-breathed, it's useful for these things, but in verse 17, and, and I'm not going to focus too much time on here because really I wanted to talk about the different components in verse 16, but the purpose of all this, why do we need this inspired, this God-breathed Scripture that is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness? Why do we need that? Well, Paul tells us in verse 17, he says, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's the payoff. There's the so what. It, it, it's not enough in Paul's eyes for this inspired, this God-breathed scripture to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, and to train us in righteousness. Essentially, here's what I see. 
that Paul is not content with staying in the realm of the theoretical, that Paul is saying all this happens, all this needs to happen for a very specific reason, so that the servant of God, that's you and me, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture is teaching you, rebuking you, correcting you, and training you so that you can do every good work that God puts in front of you to do. What does that look like? Well, at work, just at your job, you need to be thoroughly equipped by Scripture. You need to be taught, rebuked, corrected, and trained in righteousness by Scripture so that when you are at work, you can be thoroughly equipped to do the good work that you need to be doing at work. And by that, I don't mean doing your job well. I mean, that could be part of it. But more importantly than that, it is fulfilling your kingdom assignment in the place where God has assigned you. That's doing good work. Doing good work is not limited to, in fact, in fact, this would be such a narrow understanding of doing good work for God's kingdom. It's not what you do at church. It's not your service at church. Now, that, that could be part of it. That could definitely be part of it. And you should serve at your local church. If you're not serving at your local church, go serve at your local church. You should be doing that. But I think more importantly than that, it's how you serve where you are outside of church, your, your marketplace, your, your community, your home even. We need God's word. We need scripture to teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and train us in righteousness so that we can live, love, and lead in a way that honors God. Those are the good works. And we need to be equipped by God's word in order to carry out those good works wherever we are. That's the payoff that Paul is communicating to Timothy. It's not something theoretical. It's not just for building up your knowledge of the scriptures. No, we learn more about scripture. We're trained by scripture. We're rebuked. We're corrected. We're taught and we're trained by scripture so that we can put all of that knowledge to good work where we are, where we live, where we work in our community with our neighbors, at your kid's school, wherever it is, that's where you do your good work. And the only way to achieve that is by allowing Scripture to mold you, to shape you, and as Paul said, to teach you, rebuke you, correct you, and train you in righteousness. And and I, I um, you know, that's that's a tall order. I mean, that's not that's not something that's not something easy. That's not something easy. But thankfully, we don't do it on our own. First of all, we have the scriptures to guide us. And secondly, we have the Holy Spirit who accompanies us in our daily walk. And when we open scripture, he teaches us, he guides us, he, he, he instructs us, he coaches us so that we can understand God's word such that we can put it into practice and do the good works that God has assigned us to do. So, hey, let me issue this challenge to you. And especially if you're a Christian bro who, how, how do I put it? You, you haven't developed the habit of reading Scripture regularly, and, and I would dare say on, on a daily basis. Use the remainder of this year to begin to develop that habit. Just use the remainder of this year and commit yourself to developing the habit of reading the Bible every day. Just say, you know, I, I'm not... I'm not going to waste this year. The year isn't over. And what I'm going to do for the remainder of this year, if I achieve nothing else for the remainder of this year, 
the one thing that I am going to do is that I'm going to establish the habit. I'm going to commit myself to establishing the habit of reading the Bible every day. Now, I'm not saying that you have to read five chapters every day. No, no. But commit yourself to establishing that habit. You can find several different reading plans, uh, six months. You know, again, if you're listening to this on July the 1st, uh, when this, this is when that episode, be, this episode became available. Sorry for the tongue twister there. Then you've got six months to establish that habit. You, you can read the entire New Testament in six months at, at a, at a moderate pace. I mean, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be at breakneck speed. I mean, there's plenty of time. Six months is plenty of time for you at a slow, comfortable pace for you to read the New Testament. And that'd be a great place to start. Just just go in sequence from Matthew to Revelation. Just read the entire New Testament. And the goal here, yes, you want to understand, you want to get everything that you can out of Scripture. But I would say that the goal here is to work on and committing yourself to establishing the habit of reading the Bible every day. And you'll begin to see all these things that Paul talked about, these four, uh, what do we call them, characteristics or uh, components of God's Word. You'll begin to see how they become reality in your life. You'll begin to see how God's Word teaches you, how it rebukes you, how it corrects you, and how it trains you in righteousness so that you can be thoroughly equipped for every good work that God has planned for you. So that's my challenge to you. If you haven't yet done so, then work on, commit yourself to establishing the habit of reading the Bible every day. I think that's a worthy goal for any one of us to try to achieve in the remaining time of 2019 or whenever you're reading, whenever you're listening to this podcast. I, I just think that's a great goal for you to set, set for yourself. So, hey, thanks for tuning into this episode. Again, this is season number two, episode seven. This came out in July of 2019. Uh, brand new episode, the first Monday of every single month. And again, my goal, my purpose, my whole reason for doing these podcasts for recording these episodes is to help you grow as a disciple of Jesus so that you can live, love, and lead in a way that honors God. That's it for now, bro. I will see you in the next episode. God bless.